Everyone knows Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and the community. Over the course of the last year, we have become painfully aware of the very negative headlines national media projected across the country regarding all law enforcement agencies. Over the last several months, and after numerous investigations, we have learned that these negative headlines did not tell the whole story but rather painted a picture designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Law Matters wants you to hear all the facts so you can decide for yourself. As these investigations conclude, these stories will be featured on our Truth Matters page on lawmatters1030.org website. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. We're going to take a turn from our usual format this morning, and I don't think people know that going on seven years next month, The Law Matters Radio Show is a volunteer organization. I don't get paid. Nobody on the board gets paid. We don't have brick and mortar. Even our monthly meetings are in a donated space. Yet doing these shows does cost money for airtime and a whole lot of contracts and legal things. So, you know, this is a mission of passion. We support the brave men and women who spend their lives protecting us. And while we do a weekly live radio show... We have graduated into hosting free events that educate the attendees on ever-changing topics that we all need to learn from, like sex trafficking, human trafficking, drugs, immigration, scams. And that's why we ask for your support. The reality is we all have real jobs, and mine happens to be a mortgage loan officer. I've had enough people question what the heck is going on in the real estate and mortgage industry lately that I thought I would bring a professional who can break it all down for us. Rules seems to be changing as we speak, and it gets complicated. So if anything we say this morning triggers a question, the call-in number is 520-790-2040. That's 520-790-2040. And in the studio, we have John, who happens to be the owner of Council Mortgage, my boss. (laughs) (laughs) and he's going to break everything down for us so let's start from the beginning i want to know your background (laughs) speaking of my sleeve (laughs) (laughs) well sherry thank you for having me here john rapaski owner of council mortgage um i came to the mortgage business with a little bit of a different background than most Um, i'm a licensed attorney in arizona and illinois and before that i was a cpa And uh, so I saw when I got in the mortgage business many years ago that there was an opportunity for, as I see it, like a higher level of help for people. Right. Uh, Because uh, back in 04 and 05, I don't know if you remember some of the loans that were done back then, it was just, they were just crazy. And I saw some of the things that people were getting into and I said, well, I could probably help a lot of people here. And then uh, we started Council Mortgage in 2007, which is exactly what we do. We counsel people. We help them to try to find the right loans for the right reasons. And as you know, everybody who comes to work with us, there's one thing that I tell everybody that when they come to Council Mortgage, they're coming here to help people. That's what the whole purposes of council mortgage is to help people. And that could be helping them with their credit. That could be helping them try to find the right loan. And as you said, things are getting more and more complicated and things are getting more and more confusing. And um, that's why, you know, I, I really feel that we really do help, you know, provide a service to the public. Um, uh, uh, We are a mortgage broker. 
So that's different than a mortgage banker. So right. we just work in wholesale, and we just really our our only uh, mission is try to find the best lender out there that has the best product for you in your specific circumstances. And that's something that people don't necessarily know is that their circumstances change. Everyone has their own specific circumstance, and there's a whole bunch of different products for that circumstance. So what happens a lot of times is that people say, "Oh yeah, well my next door neighbor got this, or my <laughs> my friend got this, or whatever," but their circumstances are different than what you're circumstances are so we try to find what's the best solution for you and your circumstance and people don't realize if you go to a bank they only have that one product that's correct if you go to a broker you have a variety of products that your loan officer can go through and decide you know hey which one works for you and, and present you with the best options. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And we do residential, we do commercial, we've done private money, and we do reverse mortgages too. Yeah, let's talk about reverse mortgages. <laughs> reverse mortgages, I, I think people are, are jaded because of the bad reputation they had for so long. But there are new rules. The government got involved, which is the good news. The bad news is the government got involved. <laughs> so, so you are required to produce more paperwork to prove who you are and, and to keep everybody safe, basically, mm-hmm. because for a while there, and you know, if you could fog a mirror, you had a pulse, you were getting a loan, mm-hmm. it didn't matter. That's right. So, you know, we we like it when the government protects the consumer, and that's basically what all these laws <clears throat> require. We're protecting the consumer, and mm-hmm. it's our obligation. That's right. And a lot of people... I do presentations. In fact, we're doing one on the 17th at 9 in the morning at the Pioneer Title at 6, no, 1660, 1660 East River Road, the Pioneer Title on River Road. And the company I worked for before you, when I said I was going to do a presentation, the person I was working for said, well, I want to come with you. I'm going to make a presentation too. And when I said my friend from the AG's office is going to be there, he said, well, then I can't make my presentation. That's a red flag. (laughs) It's a huge red flag. And after I I listened to what he was talking about, I realized that maybe I don't want to work for this person. (laughs) I'm kind of curious as to what his presentation was. Yeah, well, I'll I'll tell you off air. (laughs) So let's talk about mortgage fraud. Let's what does it look like in the consumer, your average consumer? This isn't something they do every day. Yeah. You know, this is a couple of times in their life they're going to go get a, a loan for something, a house loan. What does fraud look like in this industry? Well, fraud takes a whole bunch of different types. It can look like a whole bunch of different types of things. But remember, when you sign that loan application, you are signing it under penalties of perjury that you are going to say everything that's truthful on that application. So if you're going to buy it as a primary residence, you have to make sure you put it as a primary residence. If you're going to buy it as a second home, you have to make sure you put it as a second home. If you're going to buy it as investment property, but investment property. If you're going to buy it as a second home, but it's going to be an investment property, well, then there you're not being truthful. And right. that could be mortgage fraud. So that's something that people don't even think about. They're like, oh, it's second home. I'm going to Airbnb it, whatever. Well, if you're intention is to Airbnb it the whole time, then it's not a second home. And you have to get the right insurance anyway. So you're going to talk to your insurance agent who's going to get you the right coverage. And then you need to make sure you have the right coverage for that home. So if you're doing it as investment property, you want to get your rent loss coverage because you want to make sure you have the right coverage for investment property. But if you're doing it as a second home, 
then you have to make sure you're truthful. But it also, you know, back in the day, Sherry, and you probably know this too, people would falsify tax returns and pay stubs and W-2s and all that stuff. And they're not even politicians. (laughs) (laughs) Only when it comes to applying for a loan. (laughs) Exactly. So, so, um, So they would falsify the stuff, which has increased some of the document burden, which you kind of alluded to, that the documents, they're starting to become more documents. And one of the things they do now is they actually have you fill out a form that they'll send to the IRS so they can get the transcripts of the tax return that you actually filed. 4506. The 4506 to make sure that, you know, what you're telling the lender is truthful. Because believe it or not, (laughs) because people with mortgage fraud, they would give tax returns that were not truthful. And back then the lenders weren't validating every single uh, application that came in with the IRS, but they're doing it now. Yeah, they have to. And I just recently had a person who put all this income down on his application and we could only verify less than 50% of it. Oh. And I'm like, you know, you're putting all this down here where do you get these numbers? Because yeah. we're not finding it. Oh, well, I do this and I do that. Well, you, you know, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> this this isn't working. No, 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 no. Yeah, so you have to be careful. You have to be truthful. And what I tell everybody, because we're mortgage brokers, right? Tell me everything. Because people, are, there's a fear. Bless me, Father. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But there's a fear that they may not get qualified. And so they want to try to hold things back. So they don't tell you everything, but, t- but truthfully tell me everything. Cause that gives me more information and more knowledge. And I can try to find the best way to help you. Yeah. Now, if that means that you may not qualify today, but we may put a, t- a plan together. So in three or four months you can qualify. Well, then that's fine, but we'll figure something out for you. Yeah. Just let me know and give me all the facts. Be honest about it. Exactly. Because you know, you can brag to your friends, your family, whoever, but the mortgage loan officer is going to find out the truth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, and the sooner you tell us, the better, because either you tell me now or you're going to get right before closing and you've gone through all that. You paid for the appraisal. You paid for the inspection. You're out of pocket, all those costs. And now you're not going to get the loan. So yeah. it's better to tell me up front. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know it, it can get detailed and that's why we hold these classes so that people understand this is what you need. I'll give you a list of everything you need. I'll give you the pros and cons of everything. And then you decide, do I want to do this? Because a reverse mortgage, while it's really, really cool to have a reverse mortgage because it makes your life a lot easier and you can have various ways of taking it. You can have an extra income. You can just have an equity account sitting there. Or you can have no mortgage payment because, you know, like the last person I did was a purchase. So... He came in with half of what the house was appraised for. Yeah. And he has no mortgage payment. Yeah, reverse mortgages are becoming more and more financial planning tools. Yes. Especially for people with fixed income. Because because of that reason, is that you don't have to make a payment. But don't think, and you know, so many mortgage people will say, well, you never have to make a payment. Well, there's still a payment being made. But the obligation is on the house. Exactly. It's not coming out of your pocket. It's being made by the equity in your home. And that's why in order to qualify for a reverse mortgage, you're going to have to have about 40 to 50% equity in the home. Yeah. So, so, but, but, um, but yeah, but it's a great financial planning tool for those people that qualify for something like that. And that kind of gets to what we were talking about before. In some circumstances, a reverse mortgage may be good for you, but maybe you should consider a forward mortgage. Maybe, I mean, you need to look at all the different options. And see which one works for you. And there's a reverse mortgages 
were at for 62 and older. Now you can do them down to age 55, up to $4 million. So depending on your circumstances and what your situation is, it might be a good idea for you. Yeah, it's certainly something to consider. Explain to the listeners what a straw buyer is, because I've used that term and people go, what? You're buying hay? <laughs> yeah, you're buying hay or, well, I was thinking the Wizard of Oz. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. No, so a straw buyer is when you are, for whatever reason, you may not be able to qualify. So you find somebody to qual- that can qualify and they're going to buy the home and you're giving them money and you're giving them whatever they need to qualify for the home and they're buying the home, but they're never going to live in the home. You're going to live in the home. That's a straw buyer. It's also a form of fraud. You have to be careful of that because that's not the intention because you're using somebody else's um, information, information, identity, whatever, to try to qualify for that home, but there was never an intent. We used to see that more in investment properties because people would, they'd set up an, an agreement with uh, somebody say, oh yeah, well, we're going to, you know, uh, you can be the one on the loan, but you know, I'll handle all the, uh, the collection of rents or whatever. And I'm going to be the one in charge, whatever, but I can't qualify, but you're going to be the one qualified. So you have to be careful about a straw buyer, uh, because if you're going to apply for a loan, it's you that the lender is going to look for. Yeah. And, and you're the, cause you're going to have, um, your name's going on the note, your name's going on the deed of trust. And that's the collateral that the lender is going to rely on is that deed of trust. And they have to make sure that the person that's obligated on the loan is the one that's going to be paying for it. So, but so, we so don't get suckered into something like that. No, no, no. We, we saw, I don't see much of that now, like I did before Dodd-Frank. And I know I'm kind of jumping, but Dodd-Frank was a, uh, uh, a law that was passed gee, probably about 12 years ago now That's or whatever that legislated the that you have to show the ability to repay in order to qualify, which <laughs> I got to tell you, we had to legislate that people have to show an ability to repay a loan in order to qualify. <laughs> the fact that we had to legislate that, <laughs> that is kind of... tells you something. That I mean. tells you about the conduct beforehand. So. Yeah, the 08 issue. Yeah. Do you have a pulse? Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Sign here. So, yeah, tell me the different types of loans that you broker. Oh, my goodness. How much time do we have here, <laughs> now, Sherry? I mean, yeah. this is, so, well, so, so there's, um, if, you, if you're uh, looking to purchase a home, so you're an individual looking to purchase a home, a residential home, you know, there's conforming loans, and conforming loans are loan amounts up to 726200 uh, Today, those typically change every year. And those are basically backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, okay? Then there's FHA loans. Now, FHA loans, there are loan limits that vary by county. I'm not so sure what the loan limit is in this county, but I know in Maricopa, it's around 530000 um, And then there are VA loans uh, for veterans. And by the way, if you are a veteran, you have to consider the VA loan. It's the best loan out there for veterans. I mean, and I think it's the best loan out there, period. If you're a disabled veteran, there's a funding fee that's exempt that you don't even have to pay for, and so you can do 100% financing. Okay. It's a great loan. Let's debunk the people think, oh, it's a VA loan. It's so much work, and it, the seller is going to get screwed, and the you know, debunk that. 
sellers aren't uh, do not have to pay for any of the costs any longer. That's what the what used to be. Yes. Sell, and that's why there was a hesitation on sellers to sell, sell to veterans is because oh well I may have to pay the tax service or I may have to pay this cost or that cost, but they don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And so now I, hopefully. Uh, people will start thinking, hey, this is a veteran that's making an offer. Let's try to help him or her so they can get in a home. Um, I've had I've had asked people, write a letter, talk to the seller, and tell them your circumstance and see if you can, like, pull on the heartstrings. Yeah, bit. oh, yeah. And, you know, maybe get Those letters do work. They do work. Yeah, talking to realtors. My wife's a realtor, and I talked to her and some of her clients have done those letters in the past, and they can work. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but, but, um, and kind of the same thing with FHA loans because FHA loans, there's no obligation on the seller any longer either. There used to be, yeah. but there isn't either. And those are considered government loans. There's also USDA. Now you would think USDA, am I getting a stake? No, you can also get a loan <laughs> to buy a home through the USDA. So, so, uh, and that's great. And that's, that's in rural areas. So if you're getting it way outside of Tucson and in, in some of those rural areas, a USDA loan, there's geographic and income restrictions on those loans, but you may be able to qualify for those loans. And we've done those loans too. So those are kind of just general, like regular types of loans. But I do come across some people sometimes, because remember we're a broker, so we have all sorts of different types of products. So there are some people sometimes that just can't qualify or they're in a tough predicament. There are individuals that will make private money loans, which the rates are higher and the costs are higher, but depending on your circumstance, you may be in a situation, and we did this for somebody several months ago, he was in a situation where he needed to get a loan for his home and um, because there were some errors in record keeping, and the private money loan works okay. It worked great in that instance. And when you do a private money loan, which is really somebody's own money being lent to you, and yeah, kind I'm, I'm going to be your banker. Yeah. I'm going to loan you this money. The private money lenders usually want to know what your exit strategy is because they're only usually going to, the lo- the term of the note is usually only a couple two three years, so they want to know why you know how are you going to be getting out of that loan? Uh, is it um, what is the circumstances why you're coming to me for that loan? Is it because you have um, you know credit issues or whatever it is? So then what is your plan? What's your strategy to get out of that loan? Are you going to improve your credit? Is it that your job history is a little iffy? Uh, iffy? Yeah, so you're going to try to get that. So th- you kind of have to know what that exit strategy is. Then there's a couple of lenders out there that have these community mortgages that w- they were given some sort of authority, certification through the Department of the Treasury, where now... Um, in order to quote unquote serve the need of those that are underserved and trying to buy homes, they're making loans without income or employment verification. This sounds like we got us in trouble the first time. So let's, let's delve into this part of it. So, so um, now the rates are higher and there are points involved, but there's only a couple wholesale lenders out there that, somehow the Department of Treasury gave them the certification. And the the crazy thing for me now, mind you, I've been doing this for a long time. So I kind of look at this stuff and I can be a little cynical. I can be a little (laughs) skeptical. Yeah. And, and I'm like, so, okay. So the purpose of this program is to help the underserved, but you're going to give loan amounts up to $2 million. (laughs) No, I'm like, (laughs) we're underserved are buying multi million dollar homes. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So anyway, but, um, 
um, but that product is out there. So that's kind of a, a broad spectrum of it, loans for individuals. We've so, we've used the hard money loan when somebody couldn't qualify to make a purchase. Use a hard money loan to get into the house and then refinance it because they could re- qualify to refi. Yep. So yep. it was like this bridge. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's an exit strategy. Yeah, the exit strategy I mentioned. But now you mentioned bridge loans. There are bridge loans too. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so where if you have, um, and we've we brokered those too. So if somebody wants to buy a new home but they don't want to sell their current home quite yet, they can leverage the equity in their home to help them purchase another home through a bridge loan, and there that takes the, uh, a, a whole bunch of different types of. It can look a whole bunch of different types of ways. One way can be where they cross-collateralize both properties. Another way is just kind of getting a line of credit on your current home to help you make the payment on the new home. But that's a bridge loan, and that can help you purchase the new home before you sell the current home. Because depending on the market, like just a year ago where there was multiple offers, people weren't necessarily taking contingencies, like contingent on the sale of my home, I'm going to buy this home. Yeah, people don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bridge loan was kind of popular. What about commercial properties? Yep. So commercial properties, the lenders there, and we've got a couple. Um, actually, we're closing on a on a gas station next week. But um, there, there are. Um, that's a little specialized. So what I usually tell folks when they're getting a commercial loan is to let me know what it is that they're going to purchase because some banks specialize in some types of loans and other banks specialize in other types of loans. But there are conventional loans, there are SBA loans, where an SBA loan, the Small Business Administration, you can do as little as 10% down uh, to purchase a um, building. Now, mind you, we're a mortgage company. So if you're looking for an SBA loan or a commercial loan, it involves real estate with us. So if you are a business and you're renting property, you wouldn't necessarily come to us for that. You'd go to your own bank or whatever because you're looking just for a business loan. Right. But but we're a real we're a mortgage company, so we would look it has for, to the real estate, real estate. Yeah, the real estate piece, yeah. And anything involving real estate needs to be in writing. Yeah. <laughs> Statute of frauds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my background, I am paralegal, did my internship in probate law and realized all these people are in court because the paperwork on this real estate was not executed Oof. at the closing table. Yeah. So, you know, they weren't paying attention or they had somebody, because I'm also a closing agent, sign, 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 and, you yeah. know, that was it. Nobody was reading what was going on. Yeah. So I have a tendency to at least go over the important things. With the, Is this how you want this to read? That's <laughs> you know, nice. This is your deed. That's, yeah. yeah, that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> so, you know, just, just to be sure. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Deputy Chuke here with Pima County Search and Rescue. If you're thinking of a trek through nature, plan ahead, look ahead, and use your head. Your future depends on it. Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You're not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. Sarsi is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to sarci.org. That's S-A-R-C-I dot org. 
We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit. The Cochise County Sheriff's Office is hiring detention officers. You must be 18 years old and have a high school diploma or GED. Starting salary is $40,000 a year, plus health benefits and retirement. Deputies must be 21 years old, so this is a great opportunity to start your law enforcement career at 18 and then apply to be a deputy at 21. To apply, visit Cochise.az.gov. Start your career as a detention officer at the Cochise County Sheriff's Office. Visit Cochise.az.gov. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue, reminding you that infants and toddlers do not experience heat as adults do. Consider this when bringing your young ones on a hike in temperatures of over 80 degrees. You do not want to risk that child having heat stroke or being arrested for child endangerment. Law Matters opens the lines of communication between you and law enforcement. Next week, we hear from Tucson Police Chief Chad Kazmar. So get your questions ready and call the on-air number at 520-790-2040. Law Matters is a 501c3 funded by your donations. Visit our sponsorship page located on lawmatters1030.org to join our mission and keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is John, who is the owner of Council Mortgage, and we're talking about mortgage fraud, loans, legal ones, all the things that, you know, (laughs) we need to know about before we go apply for a loan. And John brought his wife with him when we're sitting here, and she's a realtor, and we're sitting here talking about condos, HOAs. There's so many things to talk about. Explain what buy-downs mean. Okay, so before we get to condos, we're going to talk about buy-downs. What we're right. seeing right now is um, there are seller offer Because uh, there aren't as many offers as there were last year, this year's a little bit, there's a little bit more inventory out there. Sellers are considering concessions in order to try to sell their home. Like, you know, um, I'll give you a few grand towards your closing costs or something like that. Well, a lot of the buyers, because the rates have jumped up so much, um, for first-time home buyers, and first, this is important for first-time home buyers because it's really tough right now for first-time home buyers to get a home because they're competing in that price range. You're competing against investors who can pay cash, right? And so, so you have to consider the seller, and hopefully, the seller, you know, is is a, a little bit. Um, uh, compassionate, compassionate. Thank you to to <laughs> wanting to have a first time home buyer, you know, get that home. So, so what a lot of first time home buyers doing is they're saying, "Hey, sell, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, um, I'll go ahead and put in an offer, but I need about eight thousand dollars towards closing costs." And but I'm going to use that towards a buy down of the rate. Now there are two different types of buy downs. There's a permanent buy down and there's a temporary buy down. Permanent buy down is let's say today's rate's six percent. And you take that $8,000, you permanently buy down the rate to like five and a half. Let's say that that's what it works. Okay, great. So then, you know, for the rest of the life alone, you have five and a half. But a lot of uh, first-time homebuyers are considering temporary buy-downs. So, uh, and they come in a, a few different options. There's a three to one, a two one, and a one zero. And what that means is that how much the rate is reduced in the first year, how much it's reduced in the second year, and how much it's reduced in the third year. So using that same example of 6%. Let's say it's 6% in the first year and it's a 2-1 buy-down. So in the first year, it's 6%. The second year, it's so so it's a 2-1 buy-down. So it's 6%. But the first year, it's 2% less. So it's 4% in the first year. 
and then 1% less in the second year, 5%, and then 6%. So it's 4%, 5%, 6%. And so a lot of the first-time home buyers are thinking that maybe rates will come down. So during that time frame that the rates are at 4% or 5%, they're only going to be in it for a couple of years. Hopefully rates will come down, then they can refinance into a fixed rate, maybe at 5%. But are you qualifying them on the 6%? Of course. Okay. Yeah, they have to because be qualified. people think, oh, no, I can no, no. qualify for 4%. No, no, no. no. They Doesn't have to be qualified way. for because that's going to be ultimately what it is. And so that's called a temporary buy down. And so when you, when you get in the contract, you have to actually put in it's going to cost $8,500 or whatever in that those funds are to be used as for temporary buy down. And so that's helped a lot of uh, first time home buyers. We do get a lot of first time home buyers asking for that. Sometimes the offers, the sellers will consider it. Sometimes they won't, but you know, that's part of the it's, negotiation. So it's always worth the ask. You can't, you can't get it if you don't ask. Yeah. Right. That's part of the negotiation. So, Okay. What about condos? So condos, we don't have a lot of those in Tucson. No, no, but up in the in uh, the valley they do. Uh, but um, condos can be a little bit complex. So what I tell people is, when you're applying for a loan, there's two approvals you're looking for. There's you on a credited income basis, and the property has to be approved. Right. Because the lender has to make sure that the property is approved and that you're approved. And so. In the condo, there are usually extra levels that they look at because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have certain rules that they need to have followed in order for a condo to be approved, which may be changing a little bit July 1st. I don't know what what it's going to look like quite yet, but they're all going to have to go through a a system like condo project managers, what they call it, in order to get approved. And I don't have all the details on that yet. But for now, there are certain rules that condos need to meet. And go ahead. Tell people how you know this inside information. (laughs) All right. So I think what Sherry's alluding to is I am the government affairs representative of the Arizona Association of Mortgage Professionals. There you go. Among other things. So I was just in D.C. a couple weeks ago and we were uh, talking to legislators about it's going to get off the condo topic here for a second. Okay. But um, talking to legislators about some of the issues of the day, and for any of you out there who have applied for a loan of anything and your credit is pulled, you start getting these phone calls from all these solicitors that got noticed that your credit was pulled. And I heard of one instance where somebody was <laughs> called 89 times oh from God. different solicitors. Well, there's a bill out there that we were out, uh, we were on the Hill trying to talk to different legislators get behind it's to stop those harassing calls yes those are called trigger leads and there's a trigger lead bill it was introduced by a democratic representative out in new york richie torres and for those of you who want to look it up it's hr 2656 and that is the bill in order to stop this practice and we're looking for additional sponsors. So if you, if you are a legislator out there, please, you know, uh, take <laughs> a look at this and, and talk to Representative Torres. Or if you are if a friend who's a legislator, <laughs> let them know because it really, it's really nobody's business if you're applying for a mortgage. Right. It's kind of like, kind of feels a little creepy that all of a sudden you're getting all these calls yeah. and, you know, 
how do you know that I was applying for a mortgage loan, whatever? Well, the credit companies make money on these leads. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's the challenge. It's so slimy. It's That's the challenge. <laughs> and so that's the challenge we're running up against. And that's really something that... So anyway, I thank you for bringing that up. It's, it's something I did want to mention today. And so if there's anybody out there that's interested in, uh, in pursuing this, contact your legislators. Let them know about H.R. 2656, the trigger leads bill. Let's, we need to get a co-sponsor on that because we have somebody on the Democratic side. If we can get a Republican on that. Bipartisan is always a better way to try to get a bill. Call Leo. He's up there in Phoenix. Call Leo. Yeah, we, well, I, I, we've talked to legislators up there. My representative up there, Representative Schweikert, he's ex, he was very good on this. He's given us some ideas on how to get that. So anyway, there's, there's, some, there's some really good people up there that are aware of it. It's just now, it's all about politics. So, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So, so back to condos. But con- back to condos. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, back to yeah the exciting topic of condos. So so condos. Part of the approval process is there's this questionnaire that the lenders have to. That's really put out by Fannie and Freddie. That this questionnaire that has to be completed, and usually the condominiums associations could charge two or three hundred dollars in order to get this questionnaire completed. So you have to fill out, and, and it has a lot of criteria. The condominium association. So you have to fill it out. You have to give them their budget. You have to give them your financial, the, 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 um, I'm sorry, the HOA's budget, the HOA's financials, fill out this questionnaire. Um, and the questionnaire asks a whole bunch of different things like, um, what's your reserve balance? Are you setting aside at least 10% of your annual income towards, uh, reserves every year? Or is there any pending litigation? Uh, do you own, uh, the condominium association, et cetera, et cetera. These are some of the questions on there. And, and then the, Kind of, then the lender will review those questions and they'll review everything in the questionnaire to see if it um, lines up with and it satisfies the uh, rules that Fannie and Freddie have in order to get condos approved. Now, I, what I like to say about these types of loans, they're square peg, square hole. It's, it really is, does my scenario fit within their pattern? Right. I mean, it's just... it's pretty much black and white there were every once in a while there's a gray area but it's pretty much black and white so so if they answer all those questions correctly whatever then the condominium will be approved and you can move on but something that you may want to know is the more down payment you put in that affects the type of review and how much documentation the lenders will look at in order to see if the condominium will get approved so a full out review is if you put like about five percent down but if you just put ten percent down buying a primary home they'll consider a limited review and in a limited review they may not get the budget they may not there's some things they may not get so if there's some questions about some things in the condominium association it's still legit they're going to go ahead and give you the loan but they may not get as much documentation and may help so and then if it's a second home or investment property i think it's 25 percent down and to get a limited review but that's That's a chunk of change yeah it's a chunk of change but if you have a little bit more down it's gonna. It could. It could help your uh, the ability of the condominium association to get approved. Now, we were talking about FHA and VA earlier. In order to get uh, a loan on a condo, and you're getting an FHA or VA loan, the FHA, the HUD for the FHA and, and, and the, the VA actually have approved condo lists. So the condominium association has to be on the approved list in order to get a loan on that. So if you're going out and you're looking for a condo, you may want to check with your mortgage professional to see if that condominium association is on the list. Now, FHA does allow, they used to be called site approvals, but they're like one-shot approvals for condos. So if your particular unit is not on the list and you want to try to get it approved, 
there are some lenders that will allow that. There's a lot of documentation, and it's a big process. But And there are some lenders who actually go through that process for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't have to worry about it. You just, I, I'm interested in this. Here's, yeah. you know, who, yeah, yeah, who yeah. owns it. But, but we'll have to get a lot of that documentation from the HOA. Right. So, yeah. Let's talk about HOAs. What is HOA? Home... Um, homeowners association <laughs> yeah I, I have a different but go ahead <laughs> so homeowners associations are um groups that um they uh of they owners. look for weeds yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah and, 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 if, and if you're not picking up after your dog you'll get cited but um but they they uh look for um they're the homeowners of the condominium association uh, they all have they have a group and it's they, it's the homeowners association. It's, it's comprised of the, all the homeowners of the condos, and then they come up with their own rules, the, the CCNRs, covenants, conditions, and, and restrictions. And restrictions. Yeah. They they have to give that to, to you the CCNRs. They have to give that to you before you buy the house, That's so right. you know what you're getting into. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're buying a home and it's in a, or a, a townhouse or a condo, and it's in an HOA. Ask the realtor for the CCNRs because you don't want to sign paperwork on something if you don't agree with the rules. That's right. Because That's exactly right. they can give you headaches. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But but <laughs> but so 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 what happens is a lot of people will say, "Oh well, my HOA said this and my HOA said that." When they say that, they're referring to the property manager that the HOA has hired. Right. But remember, the the rules are with the homeowners themselves they give the direction to the property manager the property manager is the agent of the homeowners association so if there's a rule that they want to change they can vote amongst themselves to change the rule but obviously the property manager is there to help you go through that process and you have to read the hoa rules to figure out how many people have to vote in this direction to make that rule change that's right because right. yeah, it's not like, you know, every, okay, we're... <laughs> every HOA has their own bylaws. They so have their yeah. own thing. Yeah, so yeah. if it's an HOA, you want to really check out the rules before you buy. Let's talk about for sale by owner. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We, we we just had one of these and the homeowner wanted the man write me a check for $250,000 and I'll just sign this paperwork over to you. And after I researched the property and the homeowner, because he purported or led people to believe that he was an attorney, he is not. And after I did all my research, found out, no, you're not an attorney, and the house is in a trust. So let's talk about that. So if for those who want to sell their homes on their own, there are a lot of things they're going to have to need to consider um there's you know realtors will do a lot of that work for you but if you're going to try to do it on your own you need to you're alluding to the title i mean you got to make sure that you have title that is warrantable that you can that you can transfer that you can uh go ahead and um make sure there are no yeah clear titles there's no encumbrances there are no easements there are no there could be a lot of things on the title so you have to make sure that liens yeah liens yeah <laughs> liens for sure yeah we just had a private money deal just closed this past week that got held up because all of a sudden a there lien was a, shows a up. lien showed up so so um so and then then they're going to have to market their property um they're not going to be able to put their property on the mls so that opens it up to a lot of, um, you know, other people who could see your property. But but 
But, you know, in Arizona, real estate agents, they carved a piece out of the Constitution so real estate agents can practice law in the limited area of real estate transactions Contracts. and, and yeah. negotiations, okay? Because yeah. in Arizona, they don't use attorneys for real estate transactions like they do in Illinois. East, or, east of the yeah, Mississippi, yeah. most states, yeah. you have to have an attorney. Yeah. So so what you're asked, if you're a for sale by owner, and, and you kind of said he said he was an attorney, whatever, well, you almost need one because you're losing that representation or unless you know the laws, you have to make sure that you can go ahead and transfer the property. Now, if all those things work out, I mean, there's many cases where people will agree on a napkin. Oh, I, I consider, I will offer you 200,000. I will accept, you know, as long as, as, as offer consideration and acceptance, you know, the elements of a contract, then you can have it. But, but you have to make sure that, you know, it's a transaction you can convey. People, I think people misunderstand when you record something at the recorder's office, whether it's a will or a real estate transaction, it is not their job to make sure that paperwork is accurate. You need an attorney or a realtor, a trained realtor or a trained closing agent to make sure that what's going into the recorder's office is not going to cause you heartburn down the road. And this man with uh, his home was in a trust. Oh, don't worry about it. Well, no, you have to worry about that because the trust owns the property, not you. Mm-hmm. So right. it needs extra paperwork. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we there are things that need to be done to make this a legal transaction, and there are people out there who do things that are not nice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you know, CYA, as my dad yeah. would say. Yeah, well, title insurance is out there for for a know, reason, yeah, so. and it's expensive. And yeah. he didn't want to pay any of the fees. He wanted the buyer to pay all the fees. And I'm like, oh my god. This is going to be so rough. <laughs> yeah. But you did get it closed, right? I got it closed, yeah, but and I protected my buyer, but yeah. holy cow, yeah. <laughs> it was, was not easy. Struggle, yeah. So, okay, what if a house is underwater? So, if a house, so, so you mean like there's a flood? <laughs> <laughs> I almost bought a house that was underwater here, and, and the realtor was like, oh, I don't understand what's going on. You'll have to check it out. And I'm like, eh, she's being a little shady. So I ended up going to the water department, and they showed me a picture of the house underwater. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like okay, no, but I wasn't referring I to that. that. Different, know, different kind know, of underwater. <laughs> so, so what you're referring to is if the mortgage balance is in excess of the value of the home. Exactly. And this was something that was very um, prevalent 10, 12 years ago, short sales. Then right. it was coming out of the 08, 09. So in, in a short sale situation, you need to get, if you're asking for the lender to accept less, a, a lower balance than what's owed. So let's let's break this down an example. It's usually easier to do it that way. Let's say that the loan balance is 300,000 and the value of the home is 270. Okay. So, so you're only going to get 270. The lender is going to lose $30,000 on that. So you need to find, the lender is going to have to agree to, take a lower balance because that's a short sale. That's a home that's out of water. So you're going to have to go to the lender and they're going to have to release, give you a release of that other $30,000. So back in the day in 08 and 09, it was taking months and months if somebody made a short sale offer. And the reason why is because they had to find out who the owner of that note was because it's only the person who owns the note that can make that, um, 
determination as to whether they will take less on the note. Well, these notes get bought and sold in the secondary market, the secondary market that many of you may have heard of, whatever, this mysterious secondary market, but that's where they get bought and sold, by hedge funds. And so they have to track it. It could be a hedge fund in New York, a hedge fund to Boston, then out to Hong Kong, and then whatever. So they have to track, and there is a tracking system, to find out who the owner of that note is, and that could take some time. Once you find out who the owner of that note is, then you have to get a release from them saying that, okay, you're only paying 270 and the note balance is 300 We will release you, seller, from any obligation, so now you can convey title. And now you can go ahead. Go but it has it. to be in writing. It has to be in writing. And that situation is actually what prompted MERS. Yes, that's exactly that was the that was the system I was referring to. Yeah, and you know now because mortgage, there were, mortgage electronic recording system, I think. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it, because there were people who were going, well, you don't have the note. I don't owe you any money. What do you do? Yeah. You don't have a note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now they electronically record everything, yeah. so they can easily track, you know, who owns what and where it's going. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, oh well, yeah. <laughs> those days are over. You can't say I don't owe you money. Yeah. You you don't have well, a note. I don't owe since, you anything. Since we're on the topic of title and conveying title or whatever, maybe we can talk about wrap mortgages here real quick. Yeah. Because I figured because this I'm starting to get these calls again. This is something I haven't had for like twenty years or whatever. But since the rates are so low, so what's happening is sellers right now. Um, one of the I guess one of the reasons why there aren't as much many homes in inventory right now is because. A lot of sellers, because they have 3% rates, they don't want to move. They're, they're yes. pretty happy. They're kind of where they are. And those that do, they're trying to entice people by saying, hey, you can you can pay my 3%. And we'll come up with an agreement between the... Um, we'll be come up with an agreement between the two of us where, uh, you know, maybe you'll pay me 4%, but then you're still obligated on my 3%. And, and me, buyer, I can't otherwise qualify because I can't qualify for a loan. And if I did, I don't want to pay 6% right now or 7%, whatever the rates are. So the seller will say, hey, well, we'll take your transaction. We'll wrap it around our original mortgage at 3%. So your 4% will be over our 3%. And then you can, we'll go ahead and and finish the transaction. Well, lenders don't like that because (laughs) what you're doing is you're jeopardizing their collateral because, because the seller is saying, hey, um, I'm trying to, the new buyer is obligated for my, uh, my payment, but the seller hasn't been removed from the note. The seller is still there. So if the buyer doesn't make the payment, the seller's still on the hook, but they're thinking that the wrap mortgage may get around that. And I'm getting calls on this now, Sherry. It's very funny. In the last month or so, I've been, I've had at least three or four calls on wrap mortgages and I kind of, kind of go over the whole scenario just so they know and they under, fully what understand. What you're getting into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Assuming a loan. Yeah. Assuming now, a loan. The, well, well, now, the assumptions are different. A different, but, yeah, I was yeah, just... And the, we, can, we can talk about that, that next if you want, but I just Yeah, wanted, I do. Yeah, yeah, okay. I want to talk about, because I've had people ask me, can I assume that loan? Okay. So assumptions, there are government loans. Right. VA, FHA are assumable. Conventional loans are not. But, so let's say you have a loan and it's $300,000 loan. Let's use it we've been kind of using 300,000 at home and you want to buy the home, but the value of the home now is 500,000. Okay. And the loan is assumable. Let's say it's FHA or VA. You don't have to be a veteran to, by the way, to assume a assume. VA loan. Yeah. But he has to be willing to release that. Right. Loan. Well, and the lender, <laughs> the lender has to approve you because you yes. have to apply to the lender. But if the value has gone up to 500, 
and the loans at 300, you've got to come up with that down payment. You've got to come up with that extra difference. So you have to be careful on those assumable loans. And then the lender still has to approve you for the assumption. So, so, but yeah, they're out there and they're on government loans. Okay. The last administration seemed to be giving money away to everybody, got money, free money. This administration is like raising, you know, like collecting money. (laughs) Are they replenishing their coffers? What's going on with the interest rates? Okay. So uh, there's a lot of uh, discussion about these loan level price adjustments. So I guess we're going to get into the weeds here a little bit on how rates are even determined. Right. So, so when lenders have a whole bunch of different rates available every day and behind that is the uh the pricing the note price the uh the uh the bond price for every note so six and a half is worth so much six and three eighths is worth it so much six and a quarter is worth so much whatever there's a there's a price for each one of those rates and um and then fannie mae and freddie mac put on to those prices loan level price adjustments so so what those are is those are adjustments to the rates, and it has to do with partly the profitability of Fannie and Freddie. Because quite honestly, in those conventional loans, it's the profitability, it's the liquidity of Fannie and Freddie that's keeping things going in the mortgage market for conventional loans. So, what happened recently, and what a lot of people are saying, hey, we heard that people with lower credit scores now are getting better rates. And people with higher credit scores are getting worse rates. Yeah, or whatever. so should I not pay my bills for so the next two time, months? <laughs> time, time out, guys. Time out, guys. There, this isn't the way it is. People with great credit scores are still getting better rates than people with lower credit scores. Definitely. It's just that the loan level price adjustments changed on the back side a little bit for people with lower credit scores and people with higher credit scores. They did remove some of them for people with lower credit scores. And they increased them a little bit for people with higher credit scores because, as we mentioned, Fannie and Freddie is it's still the same liquidity. Right. But some of the concern was people with lower credit scores with interest rates so high may not be able to qualify. And so if they still had those higher loan level price adjustments, they may, may not be able to get them to qualify. And as you said, one of the things in this administration is trying to provide housing even for people with lower income. But this is the thing that I think that I, I appreciate what they're trying to do, but they may have, and this is my opinion, <laughs> not necessarily the opinion of uh, KVOI or Sherry Harrison, <laughs> but, but I think what they're, you know, people that have low income also have great credit scores. Yes. You know, and so, so here are people that have been working really hard to maintain a great credit score that may be paying a little bit higher rate now than they would have, but it's not a lot. It may be only an eighth. It's not a lot, but, but, um, but they're, they're part of the, who the administration is trying to help is they're still low income. They just have great credit scores, but that, but that's what it is. I mean, it really, in the, in the mortgage world, these changes won't affect in January. It just hit the new, I mean, the lenders started including it in their pricing in January. It's just that it hit the news because May 1st is when it became effective yeah. as far as saleability of the loans go. But um, Did your phone blow up? Because mine did. Yeah, I had, well, I had people <laughs> texting me, oh, I can't believe this or exactly. whatever. Yeah, and I was like, look, if you have a good credit score, you're still getting a better rate. There's yeah, no question regardless. about it. Regardless, yeah. And if you have a lower credit score, you're still not, and it still behooves you to have a good credit score. The better the credit score, the better the rate. The be- and if you're doing low down payment, lower mortgage insurance factors, there's a lot of things that go into that to get a better payment. 
definitely it's not going to make people with lower credit scores get better rates that's a urban myth get rid of that right now you still need to have a good credit score um the better the credit score the better the rate the better the terms that that has not changed so what do you tell the consumer when somebody calls you first time buyer they want a realtor they want to buy a house should they use a realtor what do you tell people how do you advise them getting into the market typically they they need to come to me first uh to see if they can pre-qualify so because if they can pre-qualify then um then they have the power to make an offer a solid offer yeah because in arizona there's a form it's called a pre-qualification form that they need to associate with the offer now whether you're going to use a realtor or not it will be up to them now obviously a realtor has expertise that they're not going to that they're not going to be able to in writing, in contract because, writing, yes, because because remember, real estate so agents do this stuff every single day. Yeah, you every single day who are applying for a loan, working in a different area, whatever. Now you're going to try to learn something completely different. Let me give you an example, Sherry. As you know, I have a varied background. I'm, I'm I have a CPA. I'm an attorney, licensed in a couple states. And I own a mortgage company. I haven't taken a law case in 15 years because the level of knowledge for me to take a law case. Is is I, I'm just not as in practice. I do mortgages on a daily basis, right? So if you're a person that's trying to do that all on your own, it's kind of the same thing. You're trying to learn another profession on your own. It probably in a, your interest to find a real estate agent who can actually help you make a lot of those decisions because this is what they do every single day. Yeah, and they can help you find a, a home, especially if you're a first time home buyer right now, because first time home buyers that's a tough area to get your offer accepted and a real estate agent will know how to negotiate that you want to be protected and when you use a real estate agent you're being protected mm-hmm. and when you have an experienced broker handling your mortgage you're being protected that paperwork like i said when it gets filed at the recorder's office they you could file a bologna sandwich they don't care if it's right or wrong they just file it but it needs to be correct. And if you want it correct, you need people who know what they're doing. Definitely. Not everybody out there does. No. And it's yeah. kind of sad. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's it's a risk that people take. And, yeah. you know, like I had to protect my buyer from oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. for sale by owner. And I'm yeah. like, no, we don't want to do this. No, she was lucky to have you. So. And it was crazy. But, yeah. And I am a closing agent. And did you know... This happened to me. I just, for grins, I was sent to a nudist colony to do a closing. There is a nudist colony in Tucson. Did you know that? No, no. Yeah. No, there were there were there wasn't any uh, requirements on closing agents for to attend this. <laughs> they didn't tell me it was a nudist <laughs> colony. I walked in there and I'm like, uh. So anyway, that's another story. But yeah, it's on the west side of town. It's like Melanoma Med. I don't know what they call the place, but it was it was kind of a shock. I'm like, oh my god. So we see all kinds of things in this industry. I'm sure you could tell us some stories about the realtor part of it too. But until next week, I want everybody to shop local, stay safe. We're going to have the Tucson Police Chief on Chief Casmar, and we're going to find out what's going on with TPD.
Law Matters opens the lines of communication between you and law enforcement. Next week, we hear from Tucson Police Chief Chad Kazmar. So get your questions ready and call the on-air number at 520-790-2040. Law Matters is a 501c3 funded by your donations. Visit our sponsorship page located on lawmatters1030.org to join our mission and keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. 